Hello, 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 beautiful people. Welcome back to the Knowing Face Podcast. I'm your host, Chuck Smith, and I'm excited tonight for episode 17 as we talk to Mr. Jermaine Stanley, um, who is an engineer by trade, but he's also a professional in the arena of diversity, equity, and inclusion. So he's going to educate us tonight on exactly what that means, its origins, and the impact that it has on socioeconomics, corporate matters, as well as education in other areas. So sit tight. After a short break, we'll be right back and jump into it with Mr. Jermaine Stanley. Thanks so much for your support. Be right back. Hey, y'all. Thanks once again for your support of The Knowing Place. If you would, go over to theknowingplace.net. It's a little podcast website that I've set up for more interaction. Um, I have a blog there. You can leave me a voice message or note. I've got links to on the page. One of the links is to my store where you can pick up a mug or a t-shirt if you like. You can also check out my guest profiles on that website. So if you will, go over there, check out the website, click around some, let me know what you think. Let's interact. Peace and love. Okay, welcome to the Knowing Place podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Chuck Smith. And as promised, tonight we have with us Mr. Jermaine Stanley. And he's going to educate us, enlighten us on diversity, equity, and inclusion, and other topics surrounding that. So welcome, Jermaine. Thank you, Chuck. Glad to be on the show. Great, great. So let's get right into it. What exactly is or does diversity, equity, inclusion entail? So I would say that it's a, it's a term or a phrase or saying that a lot of people are using today. Uh, it's basically a way for describing how policies and programs within a business or an organization are you know implemented to promote representation and par- participation of different groups of individuals, right? So right. people of different ages, races, ethnic backgrounds, abilities, disabilities, genders, religion, culture, sexual orientations, to name a few. Interesting. Um, now I know you you're a business professional and you mentioned business, but it sounds like to me by definition that this could extend beyond just businesses to, you know, uh, finances, to socioeconomics, to education, to all aspects of life. Am I wrong there? Or is it just strictly a business concept? No, it isn't. I think you're absolutely right. It, 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 it's something that from a diversity of thought, equity, meaning, you know, you're equal and, and you're an inclusion feeling included. Those dynamics happen in any setting uh, when you think about it. Um, right. It, ha- it can happen in your own household. Oh, absolutely. Yes, yes. Okay. And I'm sure as we all know, if, we, if you pay any attention to current events and news to any degree, there's been a lot of, there are a lot of um, lawsuits and things of this nature that arise based around these concepts. Am I right? 
That's true. That's true. Um, you know, you 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 have situations where HR is of these different organizations, different companies around the world actually are really keeping an eye on these things, uh, especially in the day and age that we're in right now uh, with the sensitivities around. Um, and let's talk about the pandemic where certain groups weren't afforded the same luxuries as far as medical care or access to vaccinations because right. of the social you know, background or where they are in the world. Interesting. So well, how long has this concept been around, diversity, equity, inclusion, Jermaine? Is it, <laughs> is it a relatively new concept or is it? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I think it's been around <laughs> quite a while. Uh, we can, if we go as far back as the civil rights movement, you know, in the 50s and 60s, you probably saw it there uh, in regard to, you know, equity or being considered just an equal person if you're a person of color, right? Right. So I, I think it's been around for a while, but I think the concept of bringing those three together, you know, you know, I think it's been with us for a very long time. Right. I think you touched on to my next my next point of interest there. Um, you kind of alluded to why something why does something like this have to exist? And if I'm if I'm understanding it's to help. Uh, for lack of a better phrase, level the playing field and ensure that. Um, an individual's rights are respected or acknowledged in various settings Is that off base. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. And I was, um, you know, as I think about this uh, a little bit more, uh, when you asked the question earlier about um, the the origins or when did this all start, uh, if you recall affirmative action, you know, a lot of that started in the 60s, right? right. And I believe since then, it's always, and, and if I can simplify this as much as I can, a seat at the table, you know, let us be uh, able to take advantage of all the afford, uh, affordments that the United States of America provides, right? So we are considered uh, the land of the free, you know, we're considered uh, a place where you can prosper and uh, make a living, right? But yes. when it comes to black and brown people, uh, for the most part, or people who are considered not the norm, you know, our history as a country is not, you know, been too, you know, nice to us. And right. just think about, you know, someone who lives on one side of the tracks, if you remember growing up in the hood, you know, versus the other people who are in the suburbs, right? They had right. more access to amenities, you know, public services, whereas in, in the ghetto or the hood, you didn't, right? So access to information was also, if you think about being uh, included or being uh, equitable in regards to who has access to information, right? I don't know if that touches, right. but I believe um, in my mind, you know, those things are true. So how, how long, Jermaine, have you been working in this arena of diversity, equity, and inclusion? It's, it's interesting. So I've had several careers, right? So, yeah. <laughs> and say that, it, it, you could probably relate to this, if you transition from one company to the next or one career type to the next, you know, you might change fields, you're always going to come across this. 
And I would say indirectly, I've been doing it all my career and I am going on, you know, 30 years of experience um, total in, in various industries. But right. I would say more directly, oh, I've been at this for about, uh, you know, 10, 14, 15 years. Wow. Mm -hmm. So I'd imagine that people or companies uh, often reach out to you, for, you know, for your expertise, just to come on board, maybe, and kind of evaluate their practices and kind of give them an audit of sorts to make sure they're on the right track or at least, you know, in, in the right lane, if you will, uh, where these things are considered or concerned. Yeah, I would think so. Yes. And, and it's all around um, how do we get our either our journey from a DEI perspective um, going or how do we improve it? Right. And I've talked to several leaders about uh, this. When I say leaders, usually your HR people, your teams, those are the folks that are really responsible around your people engagement. Right. right. And uh, usually that's where your diversity officers or your people officers sit within the HR organization. So in talking with them, it's about how do you get the organization? And when I say organization, I'm starting with leaders. Right. Uh, get them engaged to the point where they get into the mindset of DEI, right? And right. what do I mean by that? Walk the walk, right? right. Uh, don't just talk about it, you know, be about it. Make it part of your ethos, your mantra, right? And, right. and as leaders, as you know this, you set the tone. And Absolutely. Yes, yes. And if your organization is looking at you, you're, you're the people who report to you and they're saying, oh, wait a minute, they're up there talking about this stuff. Let's listen in. You know, how can I get involved? You know, right. so things that uh, leaders can do, it's just like anything, you know, when you're a parent, your child watches you all the time and they, they're learning all the time. I think the same goes true for organizations. Absolutely. Um, so I'd imagine, are you, are you, I mean, I'm sure you're pretty well sought out by a lot of companies for your expertise. I would imagine just yeah. to make sure that, you know, that they are, that they are in compliance or on the right path with their diversity, equity, inclusion, uh, efforts. That's the goal, right? And right. It, it's, you know, I'm often asked to, sit on panels and moderate conversations around the topic, provide my insights, uh, being that I've worked in technology for most of my career. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm oftentimes in my career, especially early in my career, things are better now, I have to admit. Early in my career, I was probably one of few uh, people of color or minority status in a, in a room. And I've worked in the dot-com arena I've worked in uh, software development. I've worked in the energy field uh, as well. And, you know, it was, it was unsettling in some regards because you just didn't know what to expect, right? right. And what to expect from corporate America, <laughs> you know, as far right. as set me. Because you hear the stories, right? They, you know, it's called the machine or it's called the establishment. And, you know, our, our experiences are totally different than the folks who are, um, non-minority, if you want to call it that. But yeah, I would say that because of the insights and the experiences, uh, folks are calling. Interesting. Guess it. Great. Uh, 
and does data show? Do you have any statistics offhand? You know that you off the top of your head. Does does the research show that companies that that, for lack of a better term, do diversity, equity, inclusion well? Do those companies tend to run better and are more profitable and just overall better companies that do it well? Yeah, it's just a lot of data on this out there. I mean, you you can you name McKinsey has a report. Uh, the Harvard Business Review has reports, but I can tell you, and this is something that I, I tout, is that from a performance improvement perspective, mm -hmm. a lot of uh, leaders agree that uh, diversity initiatives have had a positive impact on their company culture. That's one thing. Um, Absolutely. Diversity is known for a being crucial ingredient to fostering innovation, right? Absolutely. Diversity of thinking. Everyone's not thinking alike. So you have to have some, some what do you call friction or conflicts, right? Right. right. But it's healthy and it's, and it's healthy for, for, for many reasons. Um, it also, there's also research out there showing that a lot of leaders, uh, more than 80% uh, agree that, you know, a diverse workforce improves this company's ability to attract and retain uh, top diverse talent. Right? Absolutely. So I like, I always say this, and, I, and I'll get to the last one from a statistics perspective. With this particular one, I'd like to say, on the flip side, if I was someone looking to work at a company, there's there are a lot of folks today who are asking, how does this company handle diversity? Do they embrace differences, right? Right. And that's how you attract them. What are you doing as far as if I look, I'm brown or I'm Latino or I'm, or I'm someone who's from uh, the LBGQT plus community, right? Yeah. Uh, so I think that's very, very important to know, you know, attract and retain talent because the more diverse talent you have, and what did I say earlier? You have increased innovation, right? I, I was thinking as you were saying, uh, it makes sense, man, that you know, the more diverse you are ethnically, religiously, lifestyle choice wise, the more perspective you have a wealth of perspectives that can only make for a rich resource for your company. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it, 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 I'm sorry to cut you off, but it, it's it's something that's it, to me, maybe I'm naive about this, Chuck, but it's just better for everyone if you like right. that. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, it makes I, sense. I was going to share the last uh, uh, the last comment about stats is around improved business outcomes, right? So, a lot of leaders agree that having that diverse workforce improves its ability to capture and retain a diverse client base. Yes. Right. So, not always doing business with the same people. If you follow. Oh. <laughs> right. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Um, so it sounds kind of like, if I'm not mistaken now, because I'm a lifetime student here, so I'm, I'm looking to be educated as well. So is it safe to say that diversity, equity, inclusion is a close cousin to affirmative action? Or is is it under the umbrella of affirmative action? Or is affirmative action under the umbrella of diversity, equity, inclusion? Yeah, I believe the DEI was, was it was modeled around affirmative action. So affirmative action was obviously something that was big in the 60s, equal right. opportunity, employment opportunity or objectives, right? 
Civil Rights Act of 1964 did that for the affirmative right. action, right? And you start to build these models within initially corporate environments, right? And right. ensuring that people are not just asked, and this is how I look at, um, you know, diversity, it's you've been asked to the dance, right? Right. But if no one asks you to dance when you're there, many right to advance your career, um, that's not inclusion, right? Right. That's being left on the outside looking in, although you might get inside the company. And a lot of companies back in those earlier days were notoriously known for just trying to meet their numbers, their status quo. Oh, we have right. so many X number of women or X number of people of color in our ranks, but they really weren't providing them with the opportunities to be considered for advancement, for, you know, those types of career opportunities that would, you know, help them flourish. I call that equity because you're not giving them the same set of tools to be successful in the company. So that's the right. guy right there, right? Absolutely. So I think it shows a beautiful evolution from, you know, I think initially, uh, affirmative action was more race-based. And now with DEI, it has evolved into a more, a more broad, you know, representation for not just people of color, but also people of as said, different lifestyles or different ethnicities, different religious backgrounds. It kind of covers a more comprehensive uh, protective layer there for those various differences. That I, you, you hit it right on the head there, Chuck, and that's so, so important uh, for the listeners to understand. You know, we've been talking about diversity, and equity, and inclusion the last couple of years in the world that we're in, but the true essence of what you just said is, is so, so important that it, it's for everybody. Yeah. You know, it's not just people of color or people who come from a different country. It's for everyone. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's how it should be. I guess I think the dream would be, Jermaine, if I if I may, I guess the dream would be not to need a DEI department to, for us to evolve to a place where there's not a need for it anymore because diversity, equity, inclusion is just becomes an integral part of culture to the point where we don't have to have specialists in the field to make sure it's being done right. That's interesting you say that. Um... Interesting point. I guess that would be the euphoric outcome, right? Right. You know, that we don't have to, because we're so good at it now, it's part of our culture, it's oozing in and out of us, that we don't need anyone to come tell us how to do it the correct way. Right. And that would be awesome. But I would caution, because just like anything that has a movement or momentum if you stop talking about it or if you stop doing the things that got you there right evolving on the things that you got that got you there then you're going to kind of fall back to where you were before and then you're going to guess what start calling folks again and say hey come help us out right you're right that's interesting so there'll definitely be always I don't see a time where there won't be a need for 
the awareness and, you know, to keep it, keep this type of thinking fresh on the minds of leaders and cultures around the world. And regardless of the genre, whether it's, like I said, business, whether it's education, whether it's economics, finances, there's already going to be a need for this type of thinking and check and balance, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. Because every company or organization is, um, and this could be educational institutions as well, they are at different points in time as far as their, their DEI journey, right? Some are just trying to figure it out. Some are saying, well, we want to wait for the perfect situation. Some are already running, you know? And right. I, I say to those who are still running or need to do is that they just need to start. There's no perfect moment you know just start down the path of uh, doing things that make it uh, fair and equitable in your your organization absolutely i think for a lot of people jermaine if you think about it um a lot of people have problems with having tough conversations you know people don't like to have conversations about race or gender bias or uh, alternative lifestyle people are People get squeamish about those. And I, I just think I'm just a firm believer that communication and transparency, man, is the best way to grow and build trust and just to build success and within any organization or even any relationship for that matter. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, having those tough conversations, some companies refer to them as courageous conversations, you know, right? Because you, you got to be a little brave about it. Right. And the idea is you check your biases you know, at the door before, you know, you, you make an, you make a judgment or a decision related to someone who comes from one of those diverse uh, groups. Right. And, and typically you want to make sure that the person who wants to have this conversation about this is how I'm feeling, you know, this whole thing with, you know, the civil unrest that we had last year, you know, people should be able to come into safe environments to say, I need to express myself. Right. That's one way. And, right. and that way, there's this learning that's happening for those who are, you know, the, 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 the superiors or the, the leaders of the company understanding that within their ranks, they have people who are touched by a certain event or an action um, in different ways. And that all, you know, it doesn't happen all the same, but courageous conversations or those tough conversations, if you're willing to engage, right, meaning you're not there just, you know, saying uh-huh, uh-huh, but you're actually engaged as a leader, I'm talking about the leaders, staying engaged, remaining morally and emotionally and intellectually involved in the dialogue, right? So right. your emotions carry the day, but just making sure that the person who is trying to be heard understands that you're engaged with them. It's just like the old thing we used to say, when you, when you meet someone, you shake their hand, you look them in the eye and say, hello, my name is, right? And that way they know that you're connecting with them instead of looking around and looking down, looking up, you know, that kind of thing. That's annoying, right? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Absolutely. Um, and I would imagine, you know, other, other than, you know, the legal aspect of DEI, I'm sure there are many other avenues. If someone was interested in this, in this, arena, if you will, what are some of the 
majors like college majors or fields of study that lend themselves to DEI? Or is it, you know, is that something you can major in in college or is it kind of like an offshoot of, of right. other, you know, fields of study? Yeah, more and more colleges and universities are uh, offering curriculums around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Right. Uh, those who are experienced, uh, I'm talking two-year, four-year degrees. Right. Um, and, and, and some of it is for is geared for folks who are experienced hires, right, who've been in the workforce for a while. You can go right. pick up a certification or a certificate. Right, and, and you don't necessarily have to study it from the standpoint of I'm going to go to university and study for four years on this topic. You can be someone like myself. I've got two engineering degrees, and I'm talking about this stuff, right? And I, I've, I've been certified in you know certain things related to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Right. Interesting. So a lot, I have a lot of young people who listen to this podcast, man. So I always try to drop something in there for them. If they hear something that sparks their interest to give them some direction on how to maybe approach a career in something like this. Cause I, it sounds like to me, and, and I've always been a fan of the underdog, man. And, and by that, I mean, anytime I see someone being mistreated or left out because of how they dress or how they look or any type of what I see as mistreatment that I've always been, I was always, I always gravitated to those people in that sense. So I think DEI is definitely a true champion of the underdog and helps to ensure that everyone, um, you know, receives the due respect that they deserve as people in no matter the uh, arena. Yeah. And I'm glad you said that because that's a whole nother slice of diversity, the way you think about it. Right. Right. Just said, do respect. Just respect me as equally as you respect, you know, someone who looks like you, right? Absolutely. And uh, you know, I think that's that's so so important. You mentioned something. I want to go back to something you said about the young folks or the young professionals who listen to your podcast. You and I are both Alabama and M alum. Indeed. Yes, sir. And I just something on LinkedIn. Uh, the city of Huntsville, forgot the department, but they hired, oh, I'm sorry, I do know the department. It's the Department of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. Wow. They have an internship program uh, for uh, folks who want to intern with them, and they've, uh, they've been going to out the campus of Alabama a and and they've had two or three interns uh, work in that particular office. I thought that was so, so awesome. Absolutely. And that's key now because, you know, Huntsville just became the largest city in Alabama. So when you talk about diversity, now's the time to be sharp on that diversity, equity, inclusion being the, you know, flagship city, if you will, of the state now. That, that, that was amazing. I just saw that today when I was looking at that post. I said, largest city. I got to look that up. You, you, you just gave me confirmation on that. So Yeah. For sure. For sure. So if you would, y'all hang with us a few more minutes. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back with Mr. Jermaine Stanley and wrap up with a few more comments and ideas. And we're just going to chat some more. So hang with us. We'll be right back. Thanks. Okay. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for hanging in with us.
We're back with Mr. Jermaine Stanley. And we wrapped up last segment talking about just the importance of diversity, equity, inclusion, what it is, why it's important, why it exists, things of that nature. Um, and in this segment, we're going to change gears a little bit, but still talking about the subject matter. Um, Jermaine, what are some of your experiences with diversity, equity, and inclusion personally or professionally or whatever you'd like to share with us? Yeah, so I, you know, like I said, my my career has been spanning, you know, almost thirty years here, and I've seen just about anything you can think of when it comes to working in corporate America. Um, but you know, for those for the listeners out there, yes, I did go to an HBCU, Alabama and M University, uh, mm-hmm. but I'm also from the east side of Detroit, and mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm from the hood, full stop. Okay. I've seen it. I've seen it all. You, you name it. I've seen it. And, wow. you know, all those years of living in the hood, I saw the gangs. I saw the drug problems. I had this yearning to to get out of the hood, right? Right. And this journey led me to going to college, Alabama A&M, as I said before, and then off into corporate America from that point. But at the time, you know, as I'm getting ready to matriculate out of a and I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to work at the, on the high floor. You know, I'm going to have a big cherry oak desk. You know, right. And I'm going to be the boss. Right. That's what I thought. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, by the time I started my career, I was not aware how they were going to treat me or accept me or view me. Right. Right. And, you know, oftentimes... You know, I was, like I said previously, one of the few people of color in the different areas that I worked in. One, uh, you know, I stood out because I'm I'm tall. Right. Right. And then on top of that, I'm educated, I'm intelligent, but I'm also a black Latino. Wow. Right. right. So it's like, how do you fit this person in the box, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> and, so several of my colleagues from back in those days, I'll call them they're white, um, to them, I was intimidating my presence alone. Right. You know, this guy who's tall, you know, broad shoulders, those types of things. And, you know, that that sometimes made people feel uncomfortable. Right. Right. And I already said I'm from the east side of Detroit. So um, oftentimes, as a reaction, Chuck, from those cultures, I received this kind of uh, treatment. There were less than favorable uh, types of treatment like attaboys, maybe right. time, or, you know, Bob had a great year. And, you know, you're someone who's trying to make it happen, and you keep hearing this. And those types of experiences for me, and I'm sure others who can relate, uh, led to code switching to fit in. Code switching, okay. Yeah. So let's help our audience with that one. Code I'm switching. Oh, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> I'll give you the technical term, uh, version of it, and then I'll give you the you know, easy way to remember version. Right. For those who don't know, code switching is the practice of adjusting one's style of speech, appearance, behavior, and expression 
in ways that will optimize the comfort of others in exchange for fair treatment, quality service, and employment opportunities. Mm. Now, that came from the Harvard Business Review in 2019. That's the oh, wow. technical version of it, right? Right. But if you think about it, Chuck, the audience who's listening, we're just trying to help other people feel comfortable around us. Right. As black folks, right? Or Latino folks, right? Right. And I could tell you something, man. A person can lose themselves going through that over and over again. Think about that. Absolutely. And they can lose their true identity. And because of this, and this happened to me, I'm, I'm not... I'm not the sacred cow here or the untouchable, but it happened to me. I couldn't be my authentic self when I was at work for fear of being labeled or being held to a different standard. Wow. Man. And that, you know, man, that has to wear on your mental and emotional health at some point having to truly pretend to be somebody that you're not or govern who you are, you know, or, or dumb down who you really are so that you don't, mm-hmm. you know, or so that you can make others feel more comfortable around you. It well, cannot be healthy. It, it, it's not healthy. Uh, it's not healthy at all. And, you know, those experiences, they were tough and well, they were demotivating for me. And I tell you, I struggled mightily for the, with this for years, Chuck. And I'm saying, when I say years, recent years, <laughs> you right. know, last 10 years, up until about 10 years ago, I was experiencing those things. Wow. Well, I must say for myself personally, um, with age, I don't want to say there's a boldness that comes with age, but there's when you become comfortable, you know, as you get older, you become comfortable with who you are, more comfortable with who you are. And things like code switching become something that you just don't tolerate anymore. It's like, love me or leave me alone, but this is who I am. But that comes with, you know, maturity. Absolutely. And I I would say that um, in today's world, that's more something that's readily accessible, right? That right. type of coaching and information. When we right. grew up in the 80s, you know, like I said, I grew up in inner city Detroit, east side of Detroit. We didn't have the access to the information. We didn't have the luxuries of our, uh, you know, white counterparts in the suburbs of the city of Detroit, right? Right. And as such, when you go off to college, you're not as prepared, right? And, right. You know, there's inequities all over the, all over the place. We can talk about it all day if we needed to, but um, I think it's important to understand that over time we've we've gotten a little better. I'm, I'm sometimes an optimistic about things, but I know things are still out there. We still have a lot of work to do. Right. Um. And this, I don't know if this is still considered code switching, but I think there are times, though, when I think we mentioned this before in a previous conversation, like, you know, when you're younger, at least when I was younger, 
you know, I used to curse a good bit when I was a kid. Um, but when you got around certain people, you knew to cut it off. Yes. Or you know when to cut the slang talk off and talk, you know, as they call it, the King's English, you know. Mm-hmm. Not so much to make people feel comfortable, but just because, you know, it's, there's a time and place sometimes for certain things. Absolutely. Is that considered code switching too, or is code switching just a negative connotation? When you look at it that way, it does seem like it doesn't. It seems like it's almost the same thing. Right. But if you put it in a greater sense, it does have a negative impact when you look at it in the grand scheme of things. And if that's something that you kind of grew up doing, you know, and it's, it's, it's tough. And some in different parts of the country, think about this. Even in the South where we went to school, right? in the 80s, in the early 90s, you still had to kind of watch yourself when you were out in public in Birmingham or Huntsville or you know, Mobile, one of those cities, you know? Right. And and that's unfortunate because it was always, you know, that's what they expect you to do or that's that's how they expect you to act if you're a person of color. Right. Uncouthed or undisciplined, right? Right. That's, that's, That's the sociological part that you were talking about. Absolutely. Um, well, I grew up here in the South, deep South here in a little town called Cherokee, Alabama. And I think I inherently growing up in that town of about 1500 and I would say 80% white. Mm-hmm. I had a wonderful upbringing. I have nothing, you know, nothing negative to say. I, all my friends I went through K through 12 are like family to me, black, white, and otherwise. But I think there are certain things, you know, you learn how to move certain ways. And, you know, when it, I'll be honest, when I'm around all my black friends, we got one way of conversation and, and talking and interacting compared to when we're around some white friends. And so I think we le- I learned that early and, and it becomes subconscious for me, you know, really. I agree. And I'm, I'm, I'm accustomed to being, you know, I grew up being the minority. Like I'm grew up with, you know, I'm used to being the only black kid on the team sometimes or. The only black kid in class, so that's not unusual for me. Live still living here in the South, you know. You know, most of the jobs I've had, I've been one of the only black people on the team. So it's not unusual for me because it's, it's how, I've, how I've always grown up, you know. I hear you, man. I hear you, hundred percent. And you you made me remember an experience I had as a kid uh, living in the city of Detroit. My dad. Mm-hmm. He was, uh, he worked in the advertising uh, business and he was, he was on the sales side of things. So he had to interact with people all the time. And I remember as a kid, I didn't care, you know, like you said, you just kind of, you have a certain way of communicating with the people that you know, that grew up with you, your family, your friends, the neighborhood people. And I remember one time I was sitting there listening to my dad talk to a customer on the phone. He took me into his, to work one day. Right. So I started mimicking how he was talking. Right. I was like, dad don't, he, dad sounds like this a little bit at home, but he's right. like great <laughs> tight. Right. Right. And I said, I'm, I'm going to do that too. So I started changing how I pronounce certain words and 
the cadence of my talking and you know the, the pitch and tone and i started sounding like i was not from the hood right then let me tell you something this is something that happened at AM. okay i remember a group of people you know i played basketball you knew that uh right and baseball and so I, I was known people knew who i was not a lot of people knew i was from detroit right people had this perception that I was from like Ohio or from another place. They didn't know I, they didn't think I was from like a tough city like Detroit. Right. Just because how I sound, right? And um, I thought that was interesting. And as I, as I listened to what you were saying, it made me remember that story about my dad and then how that changed and how I approached talking and communicating with people went from being hood-like to corporate America-like. That's not being your authentic self, if you ask Right. <laughs> right. Right. It, it's, I don't know, man. It seems like by default almost, just by, you know, the nature of things, sometimes you have to, uh, maybe I'm wrong in saying this, it's almost like in some cases you have to code switch as part of evolution um, not that that's the way it should be, but I think that's the way it is. Um, as we say, in a utopia, we could all just be our authentic selves at all times and everyone would accept everyone for who they are and it'd just be a utopia that way. But I think in some cases, at least in some aspects, um, some situations, you know, switching up who you really are is beneficial. If it's not, if, if what you're switching from is just not, proper for the setting that you're in yeah i think to survive you have right um which is unfortunate as you as we talked about at the top the fact that you know we could be in a perfect scenario we don't need we don't need anyone who can speak to dei for us because we're in this perfect world Um, fortunately we are where we are and you have to adjust to fit in Right. Wow, that's good stuff. Well, this is, this has been very enlightening and very refreshing as well, Jermaine. Tonight, I, I appreciate you just educating us and talking to us and sharing your expertise with us. Um, what other thoughts you have tonight, man? Or what do you what you got going on? Anything in the pipeline for you here coming up that people can tap in with you, connect with you? Um, anything you want to share, man? Just to take us out of here. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So in February, I'm going to you know have a couple of speaking engagements. Um, I'll be moderating the diversity, equity, and inclusion panel for ISACA Greater Washington D.C., mm-hmm. uh, where I'm actually a vice president of the chapter. Um, so we're going to talk about this topic. Uh, that's uh, February third, and then on February twelfth up in the Detroit, Michigan area, hometown, uh, Troy, Michigan, actually, I'll be taking the stage at the Leadership Experience Tour. Well, I will cover uh, my perspectives on why diversity, equity, and inclusion still matters. Nice. Those will be interesting to tap into. Um, I'll make sure to put some links, share some links with me for that, and I'll include it in the show notes for people who may want to sign up to check that out or also give us a, give us your website too Jermaine yes uh, if you go to www I know I'm old 
dot Stanley Consults, one word, dot com. Nice. So, y'all, if you have questions or ideas or you want to reach out or you want to book Jermaine for speaking engagements or for consultations for your company, business, by all means, reach out to him. And I'm sure y'all can work something out there for sure. Um, Any other things or thoughts you want to share before we sign out tonight, Jermaine? Absolutely. Diversity and equity and inclusion. And the time is still now. Uh, you know, don't just talk about it. Go out and do something about it. Thank you, Chuck. Absolutely. I, hey, I'm, I'm all for action. I believe in action. We can say all these things and until you move your feet, though, to take action, all the talk does not matter. Absolutely. Man, well, look, we'll have to do this again because we can't get it all in in one night. This is great conversation, and we'll definitely do this again when we have some more things going on that we can promote and push. And you're welcome here anytime. Uh, peace and blessings to you. Um, and as I always say, y'all, breathe deep and love hard. Peace and love to everyone. Good night.
Thank you.